Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. All right, church family, good morning. Whoa, did I just do that? There we go. Good morning. James chapter 2, we're going to continue. We're in the middle of James chapter 2. Jump on in. If you have a Bible, please grab a Bible. And uh, as we bridge into this text... Um, I would I would humbly ask you, stick with me today. Let's take our time. Let's walk through it. And our, our heart's desire today is, again, as always, to understand the word in its context and to understand what is it that God is saying to the church, to us, to us, to them, the end, to us today. And so to bridge into the context today, I want to talk about a, um, a familiar thing that a lot of you know happened a couple weeks ago. And look, I'm not an Alabama fan. I'm not a Tennessee fan, but kind of the whole world was shocked a few weeks ago when Tennessee um, um, made history and beat, beat Alabama the first time in a really long time. Okay, and uh, so, but what's fascinating to me is what the quarterback of Alabama said um, after the game. Experiencing a devastating loss, Bryce Young said something like this. Hey, look, we're, we're not going to pout. We're not going to make excuses. We're, we're, we're going to go back. We're going to watch game film. We're going to learn from our mistakes. We're going to look at what happened. We're going to get better. We're going to play next week. We're still Alabama football. And, and, and then he quoted from Romans chapter 8 about, and just talking about who he is as a person. And essentially what he was saying is the fact that we just lost this game doesn't change who I am as a person. And if we had won the game, it doesn't change who I am as a person. And the fact that we just lost and it feels terrible, and I don't want to keep feeling this feeling. It feels terrible. But it also doesn't change what we're going to do. And you just step back as a church, and you think of that from as we've been reading the book of James. James begins this letter by addressing the church. He begins this letter by simply saying, look, we're going to go through trials your faith is going to be tested. You're going to hit highs and lows in life. There are going to be things that are hard, things that don't feel good, things that really just rattle your life. But in that moment, James is helping us to see it doesn't change who you are. And it doesn't change what God's called you to do. And James, and we're just going to say this every week in chapter 1, verses 2 through 8, James reminds us over and over, you and I have access to the wisdom of God. In life's biggest losses, in life's most difficult hardships, maybe you had a tough week this week, doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change still what God's called you to do. And James tells us that if we want to respond to that trial and know that God is going to use it and work, we can and trust him. Wisdom will come out and it will fall from heaven like manna. He says, but if you want to, in verses 6 through 8, you can let the loss convince you that now, now that's not who you are. You're now a different person. You're no longer who you was. And you can let the loss cause you to call into question the character of God. And then what you then do will be defined by the struggle or the trial. And James is saying, but that's not what you're called to do. But you'll go through life. We'll go through life. And we'll never receive the things that God intended. 
We'll be unstable and all over the place, tossed around like a wave of the sea. And we'll think and live double-minded. That's not who you are. It's not what you're called to do. And see, you think, so what James is really helping us to, 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 to just circle again and again around in our minds is that whenever you and I, whenever we placed our faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, we became a part of a new family. We were born into a new family, right? Well, God's family now tells us who we are and what we're to do. He has a plan, a purpose for our lives. And now, you think of this, James would understand that from a whole different memorable experience. See, when James, who grew up as the half-brother of Jesus, James, during the life and ministry of Jesus, as we're reminded, didn't believe in Jesus. So you think about how well this moment in James' life would dictate, even influence a lot of how James thought and how the Holy Spirit let him write in this letter. James could tell us what Matthew recorded, that one day Jesus, someone came up to Jesus and said, Look, look, Jesus, your mother and brother, they're standing outside seeking to speak with you. Jesus answers and says, who, Who's my mother? Who, who are my brothers? Now, if you're James and you're the half-brother of Jesus and you're standing out there with Mary, you're standing out there with Jude and the other brothers and sisters, we grew up together. And so Jesus, Jesus continues, and he, he stretches out his hand, and he points right at James. No. Jesus stretches out his hand and points at his disciples. And he says, here, right here's my mother. Right here, right here are my brothers. In fact, whoever, according to Jesus, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, if you're Mary, you're not offended. You're a believer. You're a follower of Jesus. You love him. If you're James, oh, man, you, you just said I wasn't your brother. You just redefined family. You just redefined family based upon their, people's relationship with you and your heavenly father, who is not Joseph. And what he's called you to do. If you're James, man, that was a tough, that was a tough day. That was a tough moment. And he didn't understand it, but it all changed. You think of this, it all changed for James whenever he experienced what 1 Corinthians 15 says he experienced. The resurrected Jesus appeared to James. And then he got it. And he believed, he put his faith in Jesus as the Messiah. He didn't then, but he did now. And then th what Jesus said in this moment in James's life, which is so hard, so painful, suddenly made sense. And James introduces himself in James chapter 1, verse 1, not as the half-brother of Jesus, but as a bondservant of Jesus, of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James is telling the whole world who I am. And what I do is because of him. It's this family. It's this team that I'm a part of. And now you feel this through the entire book of James over and over and over and over. He says, <clears throat> my brethren, my brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God, 19 times from the beginning to the end of the book of James, he, over and over and over and over and over, he addresses the church as the brethren. Reminding us who we are and then giving us wisdom for how to respond to life's trials. Don't you let that trial change who you are. 
because it don't. Don't you let that trial dictate what you do because it's not supposed to. And so, Jesus, you just let's set the con- let's continue in the context. Last week, chapter 2, verse 1 of James, my brethren, church family, this is who you are. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. That's what we talked about last week, right? In other words, this isn't what our heavenly Father has called us to do. So he introduced it. We don't look at people with partiality. We look at them as people for whom Jesus loves and died for. And so each paragraph in James 2 kept building, didn't it? And it built and it built and it built to this real, this climactic moment in James 2, verses 12 and 13, where, where James, the Holy Spirit led James to tell us, I want you to look into the future. And I want you to see yourself standing before God. It's judgment, but it's not supposed to be a scary judgment. If you've ever went to one of those plays, and I'm not putting down the play, okay? If you've ever went to one of those plays where everybody dies and, and everybody's walking up to, with a ticket and they stand there at the pearly gates and either their ticket's stamped with blood or it's not, you're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. You're, that, that, you know, that can be, it can be kind of scary. And it, but it, that's not, the Bible never pictures that judgment. The Bible tells us if you're a child of God, then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're with him forever. If not, you're, that person, that lost and dying person is just, is just carried away. In Luke 16, Jesus said to a horrible place called hell, called Hades, to a, to a place of suffering. But the Bible speaks of another judgment that we as children of God will experience. And that's what James talks about in verses 12 and 13 as a motivator. And, and he, he says, so speak and so do. In other words, let what you say Agree with what you do. When you talk about God and your faith, let it not just be words, let it be actions. And he says, here's why. Because we are those, we who've trusted the gospel are those who will be judged as children of God by the law of liberty. God gave us freedom in how to live this life. And he he said, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. And so this is where we closed last week with this hopefully huge, this big encouraging understanding that what I want and what we would all want in this day is I'm, we're standing before God. I want mercy. And, and, and James is saying, hey, look, in this life that you're living, if you just constantly remind yourself who you are and let it overflow into what you do, then just as you receive mercy from God, what are we then going to want to do? I want to be merciful. I want to, we want to love people and be merciful to people. And that, he says, triumphs. That gives all people, young and old, terrible past, broken past, don't matter, something wonderful to celebrate with our heavenly Father in heaven. We don't get kicked out of heaven if we wasted this life. But James, this is meant to be like, come on, church, remember who you are. Let's go do this because we're going to all want that. So James now continues this thought as we move into James 2, okay? Follow me right here. The trial that we're looking at today is what we just underlined. So speak and so do. James challenges all of us to understand we're, we're all tempted to live a life of all talk, no action. We're all prone to live a life, all talk, no action. Just like that quarterback said, love Alabama or hate Alabama, it don't matter. We can love and respect him as our brother in Christ. He said, look, that loss doesn't change who I am and what I'm going to do. 
But now if they'd showed up at practice that week and just, and just, just hung his head and didn't care and didn't try, didn't look at Finn, well, that, what he said would have disagreed with what he did. We're not talking about him today. We're talking about us. And so it, it, is, it is here with this understanding in the context of James that I would invite you to please stand with me in reverence and in honor for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, infallible word. James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says... He has faith, but does not have works. Can faith save him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we move through this text, give us insight from your Holy Spirit. Unless your Holy Spirit guides our understanding, we are lost without you, Lord. So we just ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things about who we are because of Jesus and why you're so intentional about what you've called us to do, to show off the family name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just hang out here for just a second. So if that was your first time ever reading that verse and you're thrown for a loop, just, just stay, stay with me. Just stay with me. In blue, I have highlighted uh, the words that pertain to the family, the team. And just hear James asking in light of the context of chapter 2 and the judgment that we will all stand before God as children of God saved and going to heaven and face. What good is it? What good is it, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if someone, who's the someone? If someone who's a part of the body of God, if, the, if a brother or sister in Christ says these words with his mouth, I have faith. I love Jesus. Man, I'm going to serve the Lord. You know, just feel it in right there. If, he, if he's talking with his mouth about his faith, but the thing that he does becomes separated from what he says. We're all prone to do this, aren't we? Then James says, can faith save him? Now, in the context of verses 12, 12 and 13, and really how the whole book is being laid out, what's James saying? He asked a question to build into the next question. Is the talk of faith going to save, do him any good in light of the judgment he's going to experience as a child of God? That's all he's saying. Will God ever look and say, man, you just, you talk so much about me and about church. Gosh, you never really did anything, you know, but we'll just, just let that slide, you know. <laughs> we got any more rewards back here for this person? You know, it just, it, James just saying, this is meant to be just such a, a good eye-opening reminder that God doesn't celebrate talking. He celebrates doing. So can faith save him? Will it do any good for when, the, when we're judged as believers? And so let me, as before we move to verse 15, let me give you one, one, other, uh, one other indicator here to encourage it. Most of us grew up using the word save as a eternal salvation, heaven or hell. I got saved. I trusted the gospel. James uses the word save like four or five times in his book, but he uses it in a different context. He, he does this with, with the word justify as well. So here's, here's one other use that, that helps if anybody's just struggling with those four words. Chapter 5, James says, we'll get to this later, but we'll just look at it for a second. Brethren, so brothers and sisters in Christ, 
if anyone among who? You. If anyone on the team, the brother, the family of God, the church of God, wanders from the truth, and someone, so someone who would be a part of the family, turns him back, him the wanderer from the truth, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. The furthest thing that James is saying here is that someone got saved eternally and then they started sinning and then you and I, we went together and we went and talked to them, we went and encouraged them and we went and kind of met them there and we helped them change, turn their life back around and now we saved them, got them into heaven. It has nothing to do with it. James just using the word save as we just rescued this person from just going spiraling downhill, downhill, downhill and further out of control and into a life of chaos and double-mindedness. So now just come back to James 2 with me. And just let's just soak this in because really what he does is he uses three different scenarios to say the same thing. In the rest of chapter 2, James is trying to say what good is it, what good is it, what good is it if we live a life of talking about our faith but we never follow through with actions? What good is it? So back to James 2. He says in verses 15 through 17, I want you to think about my question from a sibling's point of view. So he gives us an illustration from, a, from the point of view of a brother or sister in Christ. And that's what he says in verse 15 to address his question in verse 14. If a brother or sister is, and it says the word naked here, just word means poorly clothed. It's getting cold outside. They're poorly clothed, so they're cold. If a brother or sister on your team and in your church family is poorly clothed and destitute of daily food, so they're hungry. And one of you, so a brother or sister of the brother or sister, says to them these words, depart in peace, be warmed and be filled. Did you feel that? Man, Cody, just you look so hungry and cold, man. I, you know what? Oh, God bless you. I hope you get warm. I hope, I hope that you get what you need. Just, God bless you, buddy. It's going to be okay. What did I do? And this is what James is saying. But you didn't give them the things which are needed for the body. Get your family. And there's this question. There's the same question he opened with in verse 14. What does it profit? What good did I do, Cody? And James just wants us to step back and say, man, for a brother, for a teammate, that's your teammate. If that's your brother and sister, your words and no, that's just so double-minded. You had words, but your actions disagree with your words. It just didn't, didn't, do, didn't do your brother any good. That's not how a family functions. That's, that's not who you are, and that's not what you've been called to do. It's what James is saying. Let's put our faith in action. But now, let's be clear, too. James isn't talking about the person every time you go outside of town that's standing at a street corner with a cardboard sign saying, I need, I need help. Because look, you don't know that person. You don't know if it's a brother or sister in Christ. You don't know their life. You haven't got to know them. James is just talking about the family, the team of God. He just says, this is how the family functions. So his conclusion in verse 17 to the, from a sibling's point of view, from a teammate's point of view, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. He's not saying this is the proof to know whether or not you're on the team. This is the proof or the evidence 
of, wh- of whether you'll spend um, eternity in heaven or hell. He just said the word dead there is useless. Cody didn't get warmer. Cody didn't get fed because I spoke some kind words to him. And James is trying to help the body of Christ who's suffering because of their trust of the gospel to just grab a hold of this and be like, man, if I can help, I'm going to help. And again, it's a need, not a want. And to be aware of the need, we got to be in fellowship with each other. And this is also helpful. The word dead is going to come up two more times in James 2. The word dead here is the exact same Greek word used in chapter 1, verse 26, when he said that one's religion is useless. To the person who doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, his religion is dead. It's useless. It's not doing anybody any good. So now James moves on and he says in verse 18, he said, let's, let's think about this another way. I want you to think about it from a demon's point of view. It's just a very, real strange way to try to make a point. We might agree. But it's, this is what he chooses to do for two verses. So follow, follow the logic again of, being, of all talk and no action. From a demon's point of view, James says. Verse 18, if someone will say. So here's the words. You have faith. I have works. There's the double-mindedness again. Now, before we go on, let's just think about this. What is this person actually saying that he's addressing? If someone talks about their work, so here's all the things that I'm doing. You, you can talk about your faith. But I, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, here's good things that I do. This person is separating the good things that they do from their faith. It's double-mindedness. It's, have you ever been to a place in life where, 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 your life, your, your relationship with God is struggling, it's hurting, you're outside of the will of God, you're, 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 not, you're not walking with God, you know that. And maybe in your life, you're actually still doing good things, things that would be considered good. You're nice to people, you hold the door open, you do your work, you say yes ma'am, no ma'am, but inwardly you know that there's things going on in your life that's rebelling against God. That, that's kind of the idea. Okay, I'm, I'm doing some... I'm, been a nice person, but it's not connected to my relationship my, with God, my faith. It's not flowing out of who I am and what I've been called to do. It's just kind of like, I don't want to get in trouble. See that? And so look at how James addresses this. He says, to the person who would say that, show me your faith without your works. Stop right there. How, how can you If what you do is separated from who you trust, then how could you ever show me who you trust without showing me what you do? You see that? So now James, and it's in blue, here's the wisdom. He says, here's here's what I would want that person to know. I'll show you my faith by what I do. I'll show you my faith by my works. I don't want to just go around talking about it. I just want to let my life speak to my faith. I don't want to separate the two. (laughs) So now James says, let's think about it this way. To the person who spoke about faith and works separately, he says, look, you believe that there's one God, right? You, you, You would say that your faith is in God. Well, okay, you do well, but the demons believe too, and they tremble. Let's think about what did... 
why did James use this point of view to be an eye-opener if I'm doing good things, but it's just not really flowing from any relationship with God in my faith? Let's think about what James is saying. Demons know who God is. They're as much aware of who he is as any of us are. When you go back and read the Gospels, Mark chapter 1, the middle of Mark 1 is a great place where, where Jesus um, goes up to a person and the person is, has an unclean spirit. And the unclean spirit, the demon, speaks to Jesus and says, leave us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So just step back and just what is James trying to do here? He's trying to say the demons know who he is, just like any of us can know and know who God is and have trusted him as our Savior. But the works that the demons do never honor or glorify God in any way. They're on this earth to, to divide and distract and destroy and to blaspheme the name of God and to tear apart the church and to tear apart our families. They're on this earth for one purpose— and it's to create as much havoc for the kingdom of God and the furtherance of the gospel as possible. So the, only, the gospel reminds them that of their doom. Because Jesus didn't die to save demons. He died to save us. And James is just saying to us, if we start doing good things and being nice, moral people, but it's totally disconnected from our faith in God and the trust of the gospel... Our lives are accomplishing about as much as a demon. He's just saying, think, let that sink in and let that motivate us in the way that we relate to God. And to come back and to say, okay, I know who I am because of who God is, because of what Jesus has done. And I'm going to let that drive what I do when the losses come and when the trials come and when the hard times come. So now James wants to say it one more way. He says, finally, let's think about this from Abraham and Rahab's point of view. You can tell God is really passionate through the Holy Spirit that inspired these scriptures to make sure we get this. Because God wants to celebrate that judgment in verses 12 and 13 with us one day. So now James reaches into two of the most famous teammates he reaches into the history of God's family to Father Abraham and great-great-great-great-great-grandma Rahab, a, Rahab a, a, a Canaanite prostitute that became the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus, but also the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of James. Think of this. And he's, it's just so impartial because he's using a, a Jew and a Gentile. The father of the Jewish nation, then just some, this, this prostitute that was dying when uh, Jericho was getting attacked and, and she was going to go down, but she had faith. And then she acted on her faith. All right, let's dive in. It's just, it's, it's fun. I think it's fun. So he says, in light from Abraham and Rahab's point of view, verse 20, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Let's stop here again. When James asks the question, but do you want to know? He says, yeah, 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 I, I told you, I made my point from a sibling's point of view. Yeah, I made my point from a 
demon's point of view. But do you really want the evidence? Do you want to know that what I'm, the wisdom I'm giving you is spot on? And he's saying, to the, he's saying, oh, foolish man, to the person that would think double-minded by allowing the trial to dictate who they are and what they do and then separate the two. He says here, let me, let me make this clear one more time that faith without works is useless. It's dead. It's in vain. It accomplishes nothing for judgment day. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? So again, we stop here and we say, okay, context, context, context. What's he getting at? Well, the scripture where James is referencing is Genesis 22. Okay, but Abraham has been following God since Genesis 12. Are you with me? Abraham's journey of faith began in Genesis 12. You remember we did Hebrews 11, but let's just paint a picture again. In Genesis 12, Abraham leaves Er of the Chaldeans. They go on this massive journey. And then James skips all the stories of Abraham's faith. Remember the, the, how they ended up in Egypt, and then how you got the whole scenario with his brother Lot. You got the whole story where the three angels, one was God, one was God visits Abraham. You got the Sodom and Gomorrah story. You got Abraham and the high priest Melchizedek. Say that right, Melchizedek. You got the, all those stories. And then back in Egypt again, and then all along the way, the, the covenant in Genesis 15. Abraham, you're going to have a son. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You told me that in Genesis 12. No, no, no. Your, your family is going to be a nation. And remember how much time kept ticking? Oh, okay. It must be Hagar. Hagar, Ishmael is born, the maidservant. Nope, it's not it. It's not it. It's Sarah. So now you think of what James is doing right here. He steps into Genesis 22. Abraham had Isaac. Whenever he was 100 and Sarah was 90, and in Genesis 22, Isaac is a teenager. He steps into leap years into Abraham's walk of faith to make this point. And the point that he makes is, hey, church, hey, step into Genesis 22. All right, let's do that. Genesis 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God did what? Tested Abraham, what's the whole book of James talking about? The testing of our faith. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what I've called you to do. Don't you forget that covenant that I've promised you. So God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, here I am, Lord. That's a good response. Take now your son, your only son. Take Isaac. Yeah, the one that you've waited for for years. The one that you've cried to sleep over for years. And you've watched your wife for years. Are you pregnant? Uh-uh. you pregnant? Uh-uh. Years and years later, just Sarah, <clears throat> Abraham, just not ask. If it happens, I'll let you know. Do you feel that? And just God's, God's testing Abraham. This is so hard to understand, but it's for his good because this is about to be one of the most prophetic pictures of the gospel that the church could ever see. Take your son, the only son, the one, yeah, the one you love. Take him to the land of Moriah. It's a three-day journey. 
And when you get there, Abraham says to his servants, me and the lad are going to go up there and worship and then we'll return. (laughs) That's that's an amazing faith. We're going to return. I'm going to go up here and offer my son. You don't know. That's what God told me to do. We're going to go up here and we're going to return. We're going to worship. We're going to come back. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't understand. I'm just going to, I'm going to trust God. The test doesn't change who I am and what he's called me to do. I'm just going to obey God. And he gets up there and Abraham has no idea that the land of Moriah will one day be where a city called Jerusalem's built. And will one day there will be a mountain there called Golgotha, the place of the skull, which we call Calvary. It's probably in the exact spot that Jesus would one day be crucified. And Abraham raises the dagger up and his son willingly is laying on that altar. And we know the story. God speaks, do not lay your hand on the lad. Don't do anything to him. Now I know. Now I know you fear God. Now I know that I'm number one. You've not withheld your son, your only son, the one that you love from me. It's a good place to be. The struggle is good for us. Hey, you think he didn't just weep and praise God and celebrate and hug his son? and It's amazing. So James comes back with this story in mind, and he says, do you see? See what I'm talking about? This isn't about eternal salvation. Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was being made perfect. Now, you grab that little chunk right there in the blue, And you go back to James 1, 4, which says, I'm going to start in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete. The whole intention of the book of James was laid out right there in chapter 1. And James says, Abraham experienced it, and we all celebrate it, and we're all blessed by by it, be encouraged by it. The scripture was fulfilled. That man is in the hall of faith for a reason. And he says, scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, which is Genesis 15. You just get to see the glory of it there in 22, and he was called the friend of God. He got in deep and close with God, which is what our Heavenly Father wants for us. So then James closes out this discussion. He says, you see, does everybody see? Oh, I want you to see. I want us all to see that a man is justified by works, not justification like Paul writes it in Romans 3, 4, and 5. James is using it differently. That God is saying whenever you're going through a hard time in life, I want the world to see that you're with me. Nothing changes who you are because you're still mine. And nothing changes what you do because you still are following me. The trial doesn't change his goodness. James says, we as men and women are justified by works, not just by faith only. Don't live in all talk, no action faith. Likewise, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? I think he's made his point at this this point. I'd like about 15 more minutes. 
But you just see this woman with a broken past. And she hears about the God of who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And she's like, man, they're coming. And all I know to do is trust them. So when spies come in, yeah, whatever your God said for you to do, if I can be a part of it, I'm in. And when the walls of Jericho fell, Rahab's house stood. <laughs> and her whole her family was with her. It's, so James just wraps this all up. The Holy Spirit spent a lot of time on this. All I can do is just try to, let's just talk about it. He says, look, just as the, spirit, the body without the spirit is dead or useless, so faith without works is dead. It's useless. It benefits no one. It benefits, it doesn't benefit you or me or anybody else. But God says, let's change that if that's you. God says, let today change your understanding of him, of his character, and of the struggle. If you're going through a hard time, if, you're, if, if this week has been tough, if this year has been tough, if you feel like you're just at the rock bottom sometimes, God's saying, look, 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 it doesn't change who you are because I said so. And it still doesn't change the plan and the purposes for your life. That I want to do. Don't give up on me. Don't doubt me. Don't wonder. Come back to me. Stay with me. And God is saying, I'll do a work in your life and in this church's life so that all people, other people, will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, it's just here that we just stop and we just, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you chose to take so much time to really just try to let this sink in. If someone today is here presently with us, watching online at this moment or later down, later down the road, and they're struggling to believe how awesome you are and how much you love them and you demonstrated that love through the death of your son, you stopped Abraham, you stopped Abraham, but you didn't stop when it was your son willingly laying there as the offering. Thank you for that demonstration of your love. Let the lost come to salvation and trust the gospel and let the church be renewed and revived and regenerated by story after story of you using broken people. And calling them to be reminded of who they are and what they can still do by the power of your spirit. Let these words sink in our hearts and our minds today. Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.